0: to season three of the media careers podcast we're delighted to bring you more incredible industry guests who are working across the film and media industry the media careers podcast is delivered in partnership with interfilm supported by the bfi awarding national lottery funding please don't forget to hit the little subscribe button so you can be kept up to date with all of the latest episodes and also help us ensure that we reach more people we really hope you enjoy this episode Shelley Lewis is a freelance line producer working across multiple film and HETV projects. Edward studied film production at the University of Central Lancashire, where he set up an independent film production company and produced two independently funded feature films. Since then, he has worked on a wider range of HETV shows and films and have worked with companies such as HBO, Amazon and Paramount. Edward has worked his way up in the industry ladder and is now working mainly as a line producer. Edward is currently acting as the chair to the Production Guild of Great Britain's Wales Committee, and he is also the winner of the Production Guild of Great Britain HETV Production Team of the Year 2022 for the North Water. I can't wait to hear more about Edward's career and also delve a little deeper into what a line producer actually does. Edward, welcome to the Media Careers Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Oh, it's so good to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, just before we started recording, we were talking about the role of a line producer. So as I, as I said, I'm quite keen to dig into that a little bit, but because um, I think sometimes it's not quite clear what it does, So, but we'll do, we'll do that in a little bit. But in this podcast, we always have a tradition of starting at the beginning, hearing about what all of our industry guests were like as a young person so we can kind of hopefully inspire other young people to consider a route into the industry. So do you remember what you were like as a child?
1: I was quite kind of happy about, with my own company as a child. I was not a particularly sporty person. I was had a very keen interest in music and kind of playing guitars and musical instruments but had no uh, inkling of going into the media world of films or TV and as much as this child I kind of enjoyed watching multiple films and TV as we all did. um, It wasn't something which kind of felt uh, approachable to me. It didn't feel like it was something I would know how to approach and how to get into or really even as a considered an option because I'm from a place up north uh, near the Lake District and kind of media production up there is uh, limited I mean more recently shows such as A Bay has been shot up in Morecambe before that and there was very little uh, TV or film yeah. production happening locally.
0: Yes it kind of wasn't on your radar in, in that way. Um, were you academic Edward do you remember kind of start like uh, being a good good student? Or... <laughs> I,
1: I was a I was a hard worker and keen uh, unfortunately I was unfortunately when I was born I had uh, and I still do have dyslexia and I was dyspraxic which basically I remember uh quite vividly in my first year of high school in edu- the special education assistance kind of groups the teachers saying to my parents please you know be aware it might never you should change your expectations. He won't be going to university, very um, unlikely to be able to get to college and, you know, probably won't get his A-level. So just, you know, manage your expectations, Um, which from my point of view as a young child, vividly remembering that I kind of went, OK, well, let's let's prove you all wrong.
0: No, oh, I you love know. that. I love it. And then, did you hear that conversation directly or was that a conversation that your parents fatigued? Because that's a really hard conversation to hear. That
1: was a conversation I overheard. Oh. My parents were having the conversation with the head of the special uh, education unit. And I was sat in a chair kind of around a corner and kind of earwigged to what was being said. And, you know, just remember going, well, I'm going to prove you all wrong.
0: Yeah, that well, that's amazing that that was your reaction as well, because it could have done the complete opposite. Right. It could have come completely wiped you out and yeah like had such a it could have had such a negative impact well good for you for having that strength of character and I also really appreciate you talking about this on the podcast as well because there will be young people who do have dyslexia or dyspraxia and And we need to hear those stories as well. And that actually a career is not only can you go on and obviously you did go to university as well. So you did prove everybody wrong. We'll come back to that in a minute. But also that you can go on and have a career in in the media industry as well. So I think, yeah, thank you for for sharing that story. Did it did you take that kind of attitude through your studies at secondary school? Did it kind of stay with you that you were?
1: It did. Uh, The truthful answer with my secondary education, it was because of the way kind of educational groups were put together in my school, I was always grouped in kind of uh, the lower groups of educational options. So, you know, when I did my GCSEs, I was limited to, you know, sitting certain papers to only kind of get a maximum grade of a C because I was seen as a, a higher risk of failing. And the same with maths, although, you know, I maths, just due to the way my brain is wired it's something I'm very capable of and good and from part-time jobs as a teenager working on ice cream vans <laughs> I kind of became very good at mentor arithmetics and you know I ended up going on to uh, after a lot of lobbying with the school to be able to set a higher kind of grade paper and I got a B which was my highest kind of GCSE grade for maths well, um,
0: amazing good for you like that's, I think it's interesting, is it? Because you do know what you're good at, I think. You do understand where your skill sets are. So I think that was obviously the right thing to do, wasn't and, it? And to not fight everybody for what you were
1: capable of. Yeah, not everybody's academic. and Not everybody no. uh, is good with words. And, you know, for me, speaking and reading is great when it comes to writing uh, statements. Still, I my dyslexia is there, and sometimes I'll miss the ending of words just because of the way my brain was wired. You know, I'm aware of my limitations and I work with them so it doesn't limit me
0: yeah and just finding the tools I suppose to be able to manage that as well exactly is then then you can put those things in place to then to carry on and do everything everything that you possibly can do so I, I love that I love that you kind of knew that you did have where your abilities were and that you fought to be able to kind of take that take that exam and and get that B I love that (laughs) I love that so then so then were you always planning to go on and do A levels what did that transition look like because obviously you didn't have to so did you decide you?
1: so I my my route into media was a very strange one and I basically finished my GCSEs I had um, zero interest in higher education I didn't enjoy school you know I was going through kind of bullying and all that type of stuff which happens to a typical kind of high school student obviously before the age of social media so slightly different but still there and I wanted to do music performance at college I looked at doing carpentry at college I looked at taking an apprenticeship at the local power station and everything seemed to kind of keep me away from doing those things it was you know 12 uh, successful apprenticeships at a power station I was number 13 uh the music performance course I was accepted and then the course didn't run so it was you know I ended up going doing sixth form because my parents were very typically ingrained with you should have a higher education and at that time I basically I think I went back about a week or two weeks before the term started so in terms of what I could actually Uh, study was limited Uh, Mm -hmm. and I ended up doing business because that's what my my parents were in their own cafes and restaurants and ice cream vans. so I kind of that felt a sensible uh, safety net should we say Mm -hmm. I ended up doing religious education because I was in the Church of England school although I'm not uh, wasn't that particularly bothered about religion I was just to kind of enjoy I took four Topics. I wanted to do art, but I wasn't allowed to because the teacher didn't like me, didn't think I was capable. Mm. Uh, so I was pushed against doing that. And I ended up doing travel and tourism because it was one of the things I could easily get on in terms of spaces, and I landed on media, and I was very fortunate to land on doing media and working with the, the teacher at the time, was a very theatrical-based teacher. Her background was in theatre and she had such passion and such kind of creativeness. I suppose I was drawn to it going, oh, actually, this is interesting and this is different. And, you know, my my grades, I, I'm not, I've never been a person during uh, high school or secondary education where I got the best grades. My GCSEs, like I said before, my highest was a B. I think I got two Cs and then Ds and down. My A levels, I think I've I got a C, D, E and a U. So, uh, you know, again, not academically highly graded but what i found after studying for two years of six forms was again i didn't really have the i had no in contact i knew nothing about the industry i didn't even know where to look they really know as an option so i after finishing a levels i you know my sister saying you we should look at kind of you should go to university lifestyle and i say looking at different kind of courses and i looked at kind of media studies film studies tv studies and then I landed on and it was film production. And my sister basically went, do film production because you're that way inclined and, not, you know, you're practical minded and it actually sounds like it's more hands-on and you'll be better at that. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And I entered my world into TV and films because my sister went, go have a good time for three years and do that course because you'll probably enjoy it. And yeah. that was how I started uh, yeah. and that led me to university.
0: Well, all thanks to your sister, like it's funny isn't it, sometimes people can just push, give you a little nudge in the right direction and then all all of a sudden everything slots into place and maybe other people see things in us that we don't even realise and obviously that was the same with your sister, she was like you're obviously interested in media and I can see that you enjoy that so actually, as you said, like go and live that university lifestyle but also do the thing that we, you know, that you might be good which at. Which you
1: actually enjoy yeah, and would you which you'll engage, engage with?
0: with. Yeah. Yeah. And then did it live up to that then when you actually got to do the film course? Did it, did that university experience kind of provide you with that grounding maybe that you were um, uh, I think for?
1: It, the university for certain creative topics is a very kind of hard thing to kind of look at. I think... From my perspective, what that course taught me and allowed me to see was in this creative world of films and TVs. You know, and during my first year of study, I, you know, learned how to do, you know, operate a camera. And in that stage, I didn't know what a line producer did. I didn't even know there was a role of the line producer. I was like, Oh, I'll be a director or a, a producer or cameraman, because that's what you hear about. You know, you don't hear about the hundreds of people behind the scenes in every kind of remit and role. And I just went oh, well, you know, I'll I'll probably do that. And first year of uni, we progressed and we started doing courses. And you kind of form a group of friends who you make your short films with. And uh, naturally, just because of the way my head works, I'm an organiser. I like to kind of plan things. I'm, you know, with my university friends, I am still the person which plans all the reunions and kind of keeps us all together uh, because it's just the way I'm wired. And... I ended up realizing quite early I enjoy the paperwork because I have an eye for detail. And, you know, being a producer of short films at that level, it was like, well, actually understanding the process and the paperwork is part of the battle. And I was fortunate that after, you know, first year of university was very much grounding and getting your feet. And, you know, I had my first ever job when I was 19 after my first year of uh, university and I was commuting from Preston to London for you know the cost of my train fares and I wasn't making any money to work on a fashion documentary about St Martin's college um again and not for, for me I I was very typically a northern lad I had never heard of the college of St Martin's I had never heard of Vivian Westwood I've never heard of Alexander McQueen because that isn't that wasn't a world I was even aware of you know so I did that and actually went, oh, again, this is seen a more professional environment. I went, oh, actually, this is interesting. This is something I would like to pursue, opposed to just studying.
0: Mm, that's interesting. It Obviously, those experiences obviously started to open doors for you, just in, in your mind, if not in kind of practical terms, but just about the different pathways and routes that you can go down. And I talk about this a lot all the time, just about how important it is to show young people and people generally just about, the different options that there are and actually if we expose people then actually they'll understand where their skill sets best lie and how they can get a job in in a breadth of roles across the industry so that's really interesting that that's kind of what was happening to you kind of bit by bit through your your course.
1: From my side that's kind of why when you know Carrie, I I said about coming on this podcast I I was interested because I wasn't I didn't have any of that knowledge and Mm. I spent a long time going about it the wrong way and not really knowing how to do stuff correctly and who to speak to and uh, i now try to kind of ensure that we do offer work experience schemes on projects i I manage i try to kind of make sure there's a kind of a reach to the community and that we're actually trying to kind of open doors which are kind of closed Mm. to kind of show that actually the industry isn't all about who you know you can get into it it just requires a bit of kind of persistence and Graphs,
0: really yeah yeah and I and that, and that's both ways isn't it needs that persistence and graph from the the pe- the young young people or pe- people generally and also for us to open those doors and to provide those opportunities so it's amazing that you do that I think that's really important that kind of people have those work experience opportunities so they can see the yeah what an amazing industry this is and what a great career you can have in it um so to so rewind just back to university then so you so you you finish your course and are you then set on the film industry? Is that like actually this is where my career is headed? Did that kind of feel like a moment like when you when you graduated?
1: So I, I think actually uh, I'll I'll rewind even further back into the course because I think to answer that question, I need to kind of go into a bit more about what I. Uh, how I ended up proceeding. and So basically, first, year you, you learn what you're doing, you don't really know what you're doing, and you kind of set on the role you think you might want to progress. And fortunately, part of my second year's study was uh, part of one of the modules to produce a feature film. And we were the first university at the time uh, or to my knowledge, I know, maybe incorrect in this, but we believed we, this was correct at the time, that we were the first non-film school, uh, university, college, which allowed students to make a feature film as part of one of their modules. So with the students on my course, we went to produce a feature film of 90 minutes. And, you know, we made sure films to pitch for the roles we wanted. Uh, the lecturers decided what roles everybody would be doing. And then they, and I went, great. And I went, well, Adrian, we, we would like you to produce it. I went, amazing. And I went, right, here's a script, go. And I went, okay, but what do I do? You know, how do we do the next bits? How do we get the cast and location? They went, oh, you need to figure it out. And I suddenly realized, okay, well, that's fine. Let's figure this out. And, you know, we ended up producing a film which shot with two groups of students for 16 days per kind of group of kind of crews we had i think it was about 30 cast members 70 locations including kind of trade stations car showrooms parks houses restaurants bars and we had about a thousand pound budget and we've we found the kind of importance of realizing how to sell and kind of the importance of knowing how to read a situation to understand what you may or may not need to kind of You know, it finds the angle, I suppose, is Mm a term to kind of get people to help you out. And after doing that, I realized, okay, I now understand the process, but I want to kind of progress further. And, you know, my lecturer is very kind. They got me into a couple of music videos. So again, I got to see kind of a more professional crew of kind of 100 people, 80, 200 people. And I remember I did two. Uh, music videos, one for a German artist, you know, again, I was just a runner, I, but I ended kind of doing all those random jobs, which include kind of a fake piano onto a beach in St. Anne's and <laughs> picking up kind of rubbish from an alleyway in Manchester.
0: All the glamorous locations, Edward.
1: <laughs> the glamorous locations, you know, I'll never forget picking up cigarette butts from an alleyway Go well, this, you know, I'm, I'm working. I'm, it's amazing. And my first ever job. Uh hindsight's a wonderful thing it is and at that stage I kind of went okay well you know and I studied we I continued my study that third year and what I realized after doing after producing a feature film as part of my modules was I, I kind of managed to gain experience my lecturers didn't have by learning how not to do it and how to go about it and you know third year of university I went on to produce probably a dozen short films with my colleagues and students colleagues should I say and I realized that it was great but I didn't really need to do higher education any further I didn't want to go for an MA or anything like that because actually I wanted to get more hands-on experience because I realized from my kind of opening of the doors to kind of go on as runners it wasn't necessarily about the kind of the university degrees it was about you and your personality and you know I think it was an experience I wouldn't have changed getting that kind of degree because I think it gave me a lot of experience and helped me kind of do the route I took Mm. but at the same time I you know I had quite a lot of colleagues who I'm still very close and friends with and you know my group of four my four best friends should we say three of which did my course one of which works in a creative section still, uh, and arrest rest don't, you know, yeah. it just wasn't for them. It didn't happen that way. Mm. Uh, so I basically, after finishing university, I decided that I wanted to, I, I did unfortunate, naive thing of finishing university, go, I know everything, and I know <laughs> what I'm going to do next. Uh, again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And <laughs> fortunately, we managed to, uh, I joined forces with some uh actors who I met on kind of doing a short film circuit and they had an idea for a feature film and had contacts to kind of an investor who offered kind of funding to independent films due to kind of tax relief schemes at the time. Oh, wow. And I was very fortunate that we we hit at the right time and we kind of gained uh, an investment of basically 200 grand, give or take. And we basically had the money and we had a script to kind of make a professional film. And I'm, I was very fortunate that came off. Uh, I don't think necessarily that would happen again. I think we were just the right people at the right time with the right pitch, you know, in that exact moment of time. And you know, I went on to produce a feature film, which was available on Google and Blinkbox, Amazon, and something else as well. And, you know, I made a film, and it had Shirley Henderson in, who was uh, known better for kind of money Myrtle from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we had the actor called Jim Cartwright. Jim Cartwright is more well-known as a writer for uh, The Road. And we managed to kind of make this film. And it was a very British, artsy, independent film, which had truthfully some errors in it because we weren't all professionals and you know we were learning as we go as you do saying that even the biggest jobs still have lots of errors and learning curves and people <laughs> yeah, still don't know what they're they doing do. <laughs> so let, <laughs> yeah, let's, they do. let's just put that caveat in <laughs> and you know we we made a very lovely beautiful film which you know didn't do very well to be very honest because after we completed the film I, I didn't know the process and unfortunately at the time I wasn't experienced enough to understand the importance of having kind of exec producers on who could guide me and yeah. show me how to take that project further. So it, it's, Caravan was about kind of a father and son G.O.L. and the father was kind of a former rugby player and the son was a former soldier. Uh, and the actual lead actor who was playing a father and a rugby kind of coach used to play for one of the rugby teams up north. We managed to kind of get the rugby team in Lee to kind of give us a bit of traction. and we you know we did a screening with the first team of the Rugby club and kind of three hundred people in the audience. And you know, the film was released and it kind of peaked at number two in the iTunes independent film charts for two weeks. you know, and the truth answer is it was a great kind of launch launching pad for our all our careers. Yeah, financially, the film kind of, unfortunately, failed, again, just due to kind of, we didn't know how to sell it, really. Uh, and we went on to keep it going for a few years to, you know, fulfil our obligations and to tr- keep trying, because it was never, the film had soul and heart. it just wasn't, we didn't know how to sell it. And then once we figured out how to sell it, it was a bit too late to kind of reinvent it.
0: What an incredible step from university, though, to go through all of that, to... I mean, the stars were aligned, weren't they, just to kind of make all of that happen at the right time. And you, and I'm, I'm sh- sure, as you said, like the vertical, le- it must have been a vertical learning curve, because you, as you said, you'd never been in the world of film. So how would you know about distribution and that kind of marketing and PR machine that needs to happen after a film has been made? But what an incredible opportunity, though, just that the, the, the lot fell that way. It's amazing. Really yeah. amazing.
1: And, and it was, I, I am eternally grateful for everybody yeah. who helped us make that project. And we, you know, we made the best we could, but it was a baptism of fire about how you do stuff and how you don't do stuff. Yeah. And I realised after doing that job and, you know, basically any money I earned was put straight back into the film and then kind of keeping my world going by working as a cocktail bartender which I did for many years when I first started <laughs> you know, moonlighting as a bartender to survive and pay the rent so I could try and kind of break in. Yeah. And I realised I needed to kind of, as much as I want to produce, I haven't really produced anything since because I realised there was a lot of knowledge I didn't have and I needed to kind of, from my own perspective, I wanted to kind of get that knowledge before I felt comfortable doing it again Mm. not because I didn't feel I was capable but because I didn't want to make the same mistakes
0: oh that's interesting so what then what roles did you then go on to look at after you kind of had that experience what was it that you thought actually okay I need to kind of step up take a step back and then kind of build up my experience and knowledge a bit more so where did that role end up being you want
1: so that that's where kind of my career became more interesting and how I ended up getting into TV because, again, like I said, I did film production. I wanted to do films. Mm-hmm. I never even considered doing TV. And I spent probably three or four years doing independent films, working for as a role of a line producer, a PM, a coordinator, a second AD, a first AD even for a Danny Dyer film, which is a weird sidestep and probably a mistake uh, for <laughs> me in terms of that wasn't a role I was really should have been given. But what I realized was I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know how to do it properly in it. And I'm doing air brackets there because I didn't have that kind of understanding of working my way up the ladder about how, you know, on a schedule, you put a top sheet and why you put a top sheet on it. Because, you know, when you have multiple versions of schedules, because they change constantly, Mm -hmm. everybody knows which schedule you're actually working on. And... I spent probably three or four years working on a ver- variety of independent feature films, from doing kind of Israeli co-productions, which had John Hurt in, to working on kind of uh, BFI, Creative England's films with Charles Dance and Maxine Pick, in a 1400 era, Western-esque kind of British film, which was very strange, called The Delivered, if anybody wants to see a very weird trailer. Yeah. Um, and... Again, the stars aligned, and because my attitudes, uh, it's always been the same, I'm not pretentious. All I want to do is help, and all I want to do is make everybody have a nicer experience. I was very fortunate to kind of, on that job with Maxine Peake and Charles Dance, become friends with the production accountant. The production accountant put me in touch with a PM friend of hers who was looking for a coordinator for a TV show, which was either going to go in Ealing in London or Cardiff in Wales. Oh, And she rung me to went, do you know anyone? And I went, no. And she would you be interested? And I went, no. And (laughs) I then, you know, reflected on that decision, spoke to some of my colleagues and people I trusted, and they all just went, you're being an idiot. You should do it. (laughs) And I went, I'm being an idiot. I should do it. So I kind of (laughs) run back, tail between my legs, going, please, can I uh, be reconsidered? Um, And I think part of the reason of saying no was i had been rejected so much from kind of reality tv because i was trying to get into tv and I, although drama was my aim you know a very uh well-known british reality tv show i went for an interview the line producer i talked me out of the job saying you have too much experience and then get and i went whatever well, he always said i have no tv experience and she went oh that's a load of baloney Mm -hmm. and then a week later she We went yeah we come with some people with more tv experience so i kind of went into that situation going back to where i got offered to be a coordinator going i don't know if i really want to make this step and i decided actually the opportunity was too good to miss Mm -hmm. and i took it and that was back in 2016 on a show called will and it was a learning curve because i didn't have the understanding of kind of protocols and paperwork in tv i knew how everything worked i just didn't know the professional kind of ways mm. and within kind of a couple of weeks i kind of figured it all out i put a great team around me who helped support the areas i was basically weaker in and they kind of helped support those things which i didn't know and i made sure i needed stuff they didn't know yeah. so we kind of built a very strong unit which then handled this project and actually Amazing. It was an amazing thing, which then opened the doors to TV. And as soon as I took that step, I have never looked back. And it was very much the film industry seems a very closed off place, and the say sorry, the film and TV industry, and it it feels like this very big place where nobody knows anyone, and everybody kind of is looking for the most amazing people. But actually, everybody got into the industry either by connection or pure luck. And actually, inherently, most people in the industry want to help because yeah. they also want people to try and avoid the mistakes that they made. Yeah. And you know, generally, people are nice. And if you act, if you're a nice human being and you're capable, people notice. And that sounds very simple, but you know, some people work in TV and go, "Oh, no, I don't like this," and that's fine. You know, it's not for everyone. It's long hours; it can be quite draining and emotionally challenging, but I found it was an environment I flourished in. I was very fortunate to kind of become friend with a transport captain, a person who runs drivers and minibuses, uh, amongst other things, but that's a simplified way of saying it. And he put me in touch with a line producer, uh, a line producer called Caffey Nettleship, who I'm still very good friends with to this day. And she was looking for somebody and we met up, we got on and that was my next two jobs. And I ended up working as a supervising coordinator and then a production manager underneath Caffey on Discovery Witches for Sky One, and then his dark materials for BBC One and HBO. And I was, those opportunities only came because I was fortunate to kind of have a lucky, somebody kind of went, Oh, you're a nice person. Maybe you should do this job in Wales, or maybe you can offer advice of who might be suitable. And, you know, hard work and being polite and friendly has helped. And yeah. I never stopped.
0: No, and I think that's the thing. It it makes such a difference, doesn't it? I have these conversations quite a lot that actually people want to work with nice people. They don't want to work with people that are not very nice. And because you're all working towards the same aim, you're trying to produce a great product. You want it, whatever that's whether that's a film program, a film or a TV program. You want you want it to be successful, right? So you have to work collectively together in a positive environment to get you know to get the best outcome and to to see your programs or film succeed so yeah everybody wants and I think it, as you said it like seems really simple but actually it's so important isn't it it's so important Um,
1: and there's also nothing where you actually look at it look film and tv isn't short hours you know my average day is a 12 hour working day so that I mean you know I will on average do at least 60 hours a week before Mm -hmm. I can start talking about commuting to the office and you know before we start talking about overtime, which basically means that actually your work environment, you spend more time there than you do with your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, that's what's hard about this industry. But at the same time, you don't need to live a difficult life. You don't need to be annoy people and not be so friendly because ultimately it doesn't hurt to be a nice person and just actually listen.
0: Mm, no i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more um now edward one of the things i wanted to do in this podcast was to really dig into what is a line producer because we hear about producers and like well mostly producing right but a line producer is obviously a different role but what does it mean could you just explain to to me and to our listeners about what does that actually involve and how is it different to a normal produce normal i put inverted commas <laughs> producer? of
1: course uh so a line producer uh, and actually it's a good kind of segue and I can, i'll I'll ramble on about my career as well um, cuz it's it gives more context and after doing its art materials as a production manager which is the role directly below a line producer i realized i wanted to kind of progress and start looking at the opportunity to step up to be a line producer well and that opportunity came on a show called the north water where i was both a pm to start with and then due to the pandemic we i became a line producer and did see pick up an additional photography in that capacity now a line producer a producer is the person who takes the idea from page to screen in its entirety that person worked with a director who usually has a creative vision and puts the creative elements in place to kind of turn you know descriptive 90 pages into this beautiful film or 60 pages to this beautiful tv show what a producer does is kind of offer the assistance to kind of turn that from that idea into reality and they'll have all the conversation with the broadcasters and the agents to kind of get the key people involved now what a line producer does is support that individual and I therefore manage kind of the budget side and the contractual side so in my role as a line producer I will I'm mainly responsible for handling the crews I will go out and source the majority of the workforce. I will work with each kind of department head to then kind of bring on their team and their kind of, the relevant support they need and help bring on the suppliers they need. Uh, part of my job is managing budget and that budget can range from 50,000 to kind of 100 million or even much more on the bigger feature films. And my ultimate responsibility is to ensure that a show stays on budget, on schedule and the right decisions the right things are put in place whether that's a studio complex the kind of the the crew are contracted to kind of the decision of where the show shoots and you know if that show needs an international location I will help look at the different international locations of different countries tax credits and then kind of help make an informed decision.
0: So it's quite complex isn't it that role then you're kind of got your you're managing lots of different moving parts there and lots of different elements what what are the kind of key skill sets do you think you need to be in that kind of in that line producer role
1: everybody would say different things ultimately from my own personal perspective mm. it's about being able to listen it's about being able to communicate and it's also about not being afraid to not know everything Every project is slightly different. You know, mm-hmm. the North Water project I was speaking about before mm-hmm. was a show for BBC2 and AMC in America which was shot in the arctic Circle in Svalbard, which is the same place David Attenborough goes to shoot his polar bear documentaries mm-hmm. and we took people like Stephen Graham and Colin Farrell uh, on a boat in arctic Circle for 3 weeks. And you know, put them on a period of a whaling vessel, and we had to go. Okay, let's talk about health and safety. Let's yeah. talk about the cost. How do you charter a ship? How do you shoot on floating ice? What do you do <laughs> if polar bears come to you? <laughs> uh, and parts.
0: <laughs> that sounds
1: and, crazy. And and, and, and but it, you know, and overnight, one night, true story. Uh, you, we anchored to a piece of floating ice. A polar bear walked up to where the anchor was and tried to push the anchor out. Oh wow. Um, oh, well. Every job requires different things. The important thing is about being willing to listen and communicate and talk through everything. Uh, It's part of the key job is being a manager. Uh, So it's actually knowing about how to work with different kind of creatives. Every creative is different. You know, everybody, some people are more production friendly than others. Some people, uh, and, and it's all about kind of keeping everybody on the same track that we're one family pulling in the same direction. And actually all we want to do is, make the best project we can and do it in a kind of unanimous style
0: yeah yeah that well that's so interesting and and I love all of the different elements of that role that must be that must be extremely satisfying kind of being in that line producer role seeing all of those different elements come together and as you say every project is so different so it must feel like like such a fresh experience every time because you never know as you said you could be filming with polar bears around you, or you could be in London, like it could be so, so variable that it must be quite satisfying in that way.
1: Indeed, and no two days are ever the same, yeah. you know, and no two shows are ever the same. And there are elements which are, are similar and, you know, that the process is the same, but everything has to be kind of weighed up independently, investigated independently, and kind of decisions have to be made for each project to make sure that a project is set up and managed correctly
0: yeah amazing so edward what advice would you give to anyone listening to this thinking god line producer role i think i've got some of those attributes that edward's described and i quite like this the sound of the fact that i'd be organizing all of these different elements and working as a team and and that you know as you say no two days are the same what what advice would you give to people wanting to to kind of get into this this kind of role
1: Uh, I think ultimately the line producer role is a senior role it will take a long time to kind of get there it's Mm -hmm. there's no kind of shock I mean we're now speaking it's 2024 I started my first professional job in the industry was the fashion documentary in 2009 Uh, I became a line producer in 2021 so even it took 11 years which is seen as a quick progression Mm -hmm. but you know it's about just getting into the industry because the industry is so wonderful and vast that, you know, projects of 300 people. And on that job, there's people who handle the lights, the, the camera equipment, the technical equipment. There's people who just do the, who work in the art department and create props or are graphic designers. And it, it's a case of going, get in, have a look around, see what's around and actually see what's right for you. And once you think you found a niche you could enjoy doing, do it and just go for it. And you know, the only harm in failing is failing. It doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. And if you don't succeed, you don't succeed. But at least you tried.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't couldn't agree more with that. And then just in terms of the the route up to that like that senior line producer role, what is that? I'm going to put again inverted commas normal kind of re- in. Is that through a production manager role, or is it? Does it kind? Of, I know it obviously depends. But what would it, it be depends? That-
1: but generally. Generally speaking, it's kind of, you start to, most people start as a production runner, you know, starting with no experience. Yeah. They step up to a production secretary, which is kind of the next role into the office, which handles kind of the coordination in the diaries and kind of meetings. And then there's an assistant coordinator, then a coordinator who kind of see interim person who kind of make sure all information is distributed across the project and everybody knows what they need to know and as, as and when. Mm-hmm. And then there's a production manager, which handles kind of, some of the responsibilities of the line producer and kind of handles the crew and some of the deals and the paperwork, and then there's a line producer. Yeah, you know, it's that's a traditional route, but at the same time, people skip certain steps, people make side steps yeah. because it's all about the independent individual. And actually, myself as a line producer, and um, my colleagues, at line producers and PMS it's not always about the experience you have. It's about the person as an individual. Of course, you know, there is an expectation of you need to have done certain stuff to get certain grades. But at the same time, people do bypass grades because they're able to and they're capable and they don't necessarily need to do kind of the production secretary role or the assistant coordinator role. And also I'm describing kind of much larger projects, kind of prime time drama projects where you know the comedy element of tv kind of the comedy shows doesn't necessarily have such a big team they'll have a runner and maybe then skip straight to a coordinator Mm. and then a pm and then a line producer so again it can be variable depending on your route and the projects you do
0: yeah amazing thank you Um, and we're coming we're coming to the end of the podcast but one of the questions i just wanted to wrap up with was why why do you love this industry so much? why is it kind of something that you care passionately about and are, and are still in and still in this kind of industry now or kind of you know however long after you
1: there's a couple of reasons and I think the ultimate reason is it's something which made sense to me where many things and many different kind of topics in high school and university didn't really feel like it made much sense and I like, couldn't see the longevity of it where this kind of felt right for me yeah. but also it was once i got into it and once i started seeing a variety i've been very fortunate that this job has taken me to italy hungary to the arctic circle i live in wales because of a show and i met my now wife because i came here mm-hmm. i've worked in london i worked in liverpool i've you know i've stood on rooftops of colleges in oxford i've seen things which you know, people would love the opportunity to see. And it's because of this industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no two days are the same. So nothing is, it's not the typical nine to five. My job is based in an office, which isn't what I wanted. But I do go onto the floor. I do kind of, it's a medium ground. But at the same time, you know, today is one day. Tomorrow is completely different. And, you know, you have to figure out the impossible. And the impossible is fun.
0: Yeah. I lo- oh, I love that. I love that. And it must feel like that sometimes that you are dealing with the impossible, but you've got to make it possible. I think that's I, I think that's a brilliant analogy. And Edward, final question. um, What are your what are your top tips for people wanting to get into this industry?
1: I think look around to join Facebook groups. There's lots of great websites and kind of companies which make kind of going to the industry possible. Look at companies like Screen Skills, and, you know, in Wales, look at Screen Alliance Wales. There are agencies which are trying to make the industry more welcoming. What I would also say is, you know, if you find a film or a TV show, you know, based wherever you're based and you're a huge fan of it, Go on IMBD, look at who the crew is. And as silly as it sounds, try and find um, their email address. I I hate to say it, I I give out my email all the time because if you Google me, you'll find my email address online. Mm -hmm. It's not hidden. But at the same time, if you emailed me going, hey, can I send you my CV? Of course you can. Most people will reply to you. Most people will take the time if you write in a respectful manner. So I would just say don't be afraid of trying because actually – knocking on those doors sometimes will lead to opening of doors and you know an example is I'm currently doing a project and it's for a production company somebody wrote a letter to the production company saying why they wanted to work for that company I'm reaching back out to an individual to have a chat not because of anything else but you know they actually took the time to do something in a way which is nice and yeah. it's worthwhile
0: mm. yeah absolutely Oh look Edward thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely fascinating to hear your story just from a young person where you were to, you know talking to us earlier about your dyslexia and dyspraxia and that and that moment in time through to your journey into the industry and that kind of the stars aligning to work on your first feature film to where you are now as a line producer and uh, uh, yeah, I'm really thankful for, to you for sharing your story today and uh, good luck with all of the projects you work on and we'll be looking out for your name on the credits.
1: Thank you so much.